Well, good morning. Um, I am Troy Nicholson. If, if you don't know me, I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Safe Haven. And um, I have the joy of taking us at the end of Colossians into Colossians chapter 4 today. And so that'll be our, our time together. But before we get to that, I've kind of got to rewind all the way back to the 4th of March, the year 2000. That was the year that Julie Beth finally said, I do, after much begging and pleading. Um, and, and so we entered into marriage that day. I remember a lot of things about that day, but <laughs> there, were a, there were a couple of things I really, really remember. Um, after the ceremony was over, we had this giant arch. Um, as a matter of fact, my father-in-law built this archway, and it had, Benny, I don't know, probably 150 coolers, Those, the, the styrofoam coolers, you know what I'm talking about? Um, the ones that sea turtles aren't supposed to eat and all that, you know, the, the bad ones, the bad ones for the environment. We had a bunch, it was a bunch of those things. And, and me and Julie Beth stood in a receiving line up under this archway. Uh, a lot of you guys may have had a receiving line at your wedding. People would come by and say different things. And I, and I remember very specifically two of the greetings that happened on that day. One guy walks up to me. Julie Beth is standing there. He walks up and he looks at me and he goes. And he looks at Julie Beth and he goes, I don't reckon I know either one of you. <laughs> but that was a great wedding. <laughs> I, I will never forget that moment for sure. And so, of course, I'm like, well, have some cake <laughs> and a peanut or two. Um, and then I'll never forget another guy that walks up and he said, hey, you, you know the only difference, or, or he said, you know what the difference is between a wedding and a funeral? Well, no, sir, nothing. You die at both of them. <laughs> and I was like, well, have some cake. <laughs> I mean, you know, those are kind of the, the, the two things that I remember. We chuckled. We gave the whole cordial giggle and all that kind of stuff. And I'm going to be honest with you, that line messed my head up for a little bit. It really did. That Just speaking that into me kind of messed me up, and I kind of had to process through that. Um, but with that said, rather than deflating us, Paul's intent today in Colossians at the end of chapter 3 and end of verse 4 is actually to inflate us and say, no, 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 no. There is meaning behind marriage. There is fullness in marriage. There's fullness in parenting. There's fullness in working relationships. There's, there's fullness to be had, and it's ultimately found through Christ. And, and this is where he's going to lead us to today. So the book of Colossians, I guess I could say this, has shown us supremacy in many ways, hasn't it? Supremacy over uh, the stars and God's supremacy over uh, the cosmos and, and every intricate detail of our thoughts and our passions and our emotions and, and all of these different things. It, it, he's met us in different ways, hasn't he, as we've journeyed through the book of Colossians together. Um, so he created the world. He sustains the world. All of these things. But today, where we're at in Colossians is going to show us that he's also equally supreme over relationships in the exact same way that he is supreme over where the stars move. He has meaning for them, and there's deep fulfillment to be had in them. And so it's going to pop up on the screen. Brian, if you'll go ahead and pop that up there. What you'll see, this is going to be it today. He's, he's going to show us that wives and husbands, there's a relationship to be had that's fulfilling in Christ. He's going to show us that parents and children... There's a relationship to be had that is fulfilling in Christ. And he's going to show us employees and employers. 
There's a relationship to be had that's fulfilling in Christ. So let's jump into the text, see what it has to say to us, and then we'll walk out and, and try to live it out. Amen? Let's do this together. Colossians chapter 3, verse 18 is where we've made it in our journey through the book of Colossians. And he says this, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. There's ultimately fulfillment in these words. So I know there's some buzzwords up there that make some of you just crawl a little bit, and maybe as we dive through it, we'll see what is God's intent. So, so number one, I want you to see this, that, that Christianity actually brought women up from being just a thing in this society to being a very real person. Christianity did this. Um, under Hebrew lordship or Hebrew lawship, women were nothing more than a possession. So you may be, you may be going, how does that bring me up? Well, under, under Hebrew law, women were simply a possession. No different than cattle, no different than a horse, no different than anything else. That's what the woman was. The woman was just a possession to be had. And under pagan lordship or the Roman law, it wasn't much better. Under Roman law, women were nothing more than a servant. To be a, a, a good woman, to be respectable then she just needed to be a really good homebody. That's, that's what women were reserved to in this culture. And so now under Christ's lordship, Paul's saying, whoa, 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 whoa. A woman is not a possession and a woman is not a servant. She is a person made in the image of God. And there's a mutual love relationship that is to be had. And so this actually was totally... In our culture, we hear this and we, we read it from a... okay. What is that? And from their culture, they would have read it and said, Whoa, Paul. <laughs> well, you're giving women weight. I'm supposed to love them like Christ loves? That, this, is my, this is my possession. This is my servant. Hopefully you see this is what's going on in the text. So number one, Christianity reorients men and women's relationships. And then number two, Christianity explained God's fulfilling intent was indeed to have equal value and yet very distinct roles. And so he, he plays this out in this love and submission and, and what this looks like. This kind of flesh through this a little bit further. Number one, I want to remind us of this before we dive in. Equality and submission not only coexists, but is indeed God's supreme design. Being equal and having different roles is indeed part of God's design. They, they, they don't war with one another. Uh, why do you say that? Well, in the same way that the Son, Jesus the Son, is equal with the Father, yet submits to Him in that same way. There, there is indeed this system and structure. They're co-equal but have very different roles. And, and how this plays itself out fleshes itself out in the family and especially in marriage. And so for the woman, what I'm trying to say is this. I don't think what Paul is saying here in any way implies inferiority. That's, that's not his intent. He's, he's trying to fulfill. But a willingness to follow a husband who is leading the family towards Christ. That's the picture that he's painting here. 
And so there is this, the husbanding, or this part of marriage is the husband is pushing to Christ, leading the family to Christ. And Paul says, if this is occurring, then, then wife, follow. Follow that. Count yourself blessed that you have this. And so it's not this, this got my thumb on you, you be woman, I be man, uh, Neanderthal, bang you over the head with a club and drag you into the, the wherever. It's, that's not the picture. As a matter of fact, men, let me speak to you. If you're using this verse in that way, you are in error. That's, that's, that's not the picture here. But also, I think Paul's equally saying, women, if your husband is attempting to lead you towards Christ and you're pulling away, you are in error. And this is what he's painting. So for the woman, it's not this inferiority. And the key is, is that little verse, that little line that says, as is fitting to the Lord. And so there is no command to follow your husband, ladies, if he is leading you into sin. And if that's going on, you have every right to rebel and to run. If he's pushing you to sin, you, you have no command to follow him into that sin. This is what's being painted here. Now the flip side is this. A wife who refuses to let her husband lead towards Christ should never expect and or demand sacrificial love. That's the flip side. If, if, if she will never follow, then she can't push and say, you have to sacrificially love me. Because the person who's trying to sacrificially love is what he's leading towards here. And so for the man, this also in no way implies rulership. So for the woman, it doesn't imply inferiority. For the man, it also doesn't imply this domineering rulership. Because the command is to do what? Do what to your wife? It's love. It's interesting, this word that's used here. If you've grown up in church, you might have heard several times there's several different distinct nuances of the word love. There's love like a friend, phileo. There's this agape love that is like Christ's love, this sacrificial love. That is the word that's used here. So the word used is not for men to, to love erotically, like Hollywood says. Or to love like a friend, like maybe Cosmopolitan says. I don't know, I've never read Cosmopolitan. But the word is, wives, you follow if he's leading in a way that models agape, sacrificial love like Christ loved his church. So men, the call is not to rule. The call is to give your life away. To give your life away in a way that serves your bride, loves your bride, meets the needs of your bride, listens to your bride, listens to your bride. Men, I'm going to say that one more time. Listens to your bride. And when I say your, I'm talking about me. Listens to my bride. Sacrificial love is, is the call here. And so the flip side, just like a wife who refuses to let her husband leave should ne- lead should never expect sacrificial love, a husband who refuses to love like Christ should never expect his wife to follow. That's the call. And so for both men and women, I think the picture that he's painting here is just simply that men in the family should ask in every situation what would worship be. And women in the wife role should ask, what would worship be for my family? And so <clears throat> I can say this, over 25 years of vocational ministry, I have never seen an unhealthy marriage 
I've never seen a marriage that is not full and flourishing where husband and wife followed Paul's commands right here. It's just a picture. And so he begins with this. In relationships, you can have fullness. And marriage was meant to be beautiful. And the way that it's meant to be beautiful is a husband is competing for the love of the wife. And the wife is competing for the love of the husband. And they're both competing for the love of Christ in all things and all decisions. And then it becomes this aroma of worship. And it's beautiful. It makes the marriage full. And so the question to the room is this. Let's bring it practical and then we'll keep going. Hey, husbands. Are you leading and loving your wives like Christ loved the church? Pouring ourselves out. Men, are we pouring ourselves out? Are we loading up the kids and and pushing them to Christ? Are we loading up the family and pushing them to Christ? Are we gathering everybody at the table and saying, By gosh, for me and my house we will serve the Lord, but by gosh we'll also eat dinner together and pray together and, and, and sing together and worship together. Are you pushing that way or do we push more towards, let's go to Kentuck. Is life more lived out of the ballpark or para or lived out pushing to Christ? Men, this is a charge, this is a challenge, and it is for our good, and it is for Christ's glory. So let's weigh the balances. What are we doing? Men, let's lead. And then the call also is women. Are you, are you loving in a way that is supporting your husbands and, and pushing to Christ and even asking the questions? Hey, are we praying together? Are we, <laughs> Women, let me just... The greatest thing you can do is pull your husband aside and say in any given area, I'm not sure we are worshiping well in this area. That is one of the greatest things you can do for your husband. When Julie Beth pulls me aside, and she does... Quite often. (laughs) And says, hey, I don't know about the way that we just talked to the kids. My flesh wants to go, woman? And then, of course, you know, she'd slap me and then it'd be all over with. Right? When she pulls me and says, hey, I don't don't know that that's, we're leaning in worship. And, And my flesh wants to go, but I preach the Bible every week. There's all kind of rotten flesh that wants to rile up and it's so good. It's so right. When we're spending our money in a flippant way and she says, Hey, I don't know if we should be spending our money that way. Praise God. When she pulls me aside and says, Hey, are we doing too much as a family? I've looked at our calendar. Have we scheduled too much? Can we just pause and just have a break? My flesh wants to go, No, the sun and the sand is calling. We need the beach. And an umbrella. And to dominate those little people who are selling umbrellas. It's good to just pull back and go, babe, you're right. We just need to rest. Ladies, love in that way. And if your husband is pushing you to Christ, follow. Follow. There's nothing more deflating. I've got to keep going. There is nothing more deflating than a man who is trying to lead his family to Christ. Trying to be around Christian community. Trying to be in in the gospel. Trying to lead. And then the wife make excuses for why they can't go to church, go to community group, whatever. and, And make excuses for why they just need to not do that. To spend time on us. Follow is the beautiful picture here. 
And in doing so, you'll find marriage is full and rich and meaningful. It's ultimately more about Christ than it is about us. All right, I've got, I've got a kid. Because now I'm preaching myself. And, and I've already done that all week long. So let's just head on to the next thing, which I'll also find my failures here as well. Verse 20, he goes on to say this. There's meaning to be had in marriage. It's ultimately found in pursuing Christ together, but also in parenting. Children, obey your parents in everything. Amen. Let's go home. <laughs> Kobe Cole Macy, y'all got that? Done. No. Let's, let's keep reading. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Way easier to read that first part than the second part, right? Can I get an amen? Amen. And all God's people said. First, I'd say this. Christianity, again, is bringing children up from being just a thing to being a person. You've got to realize that's what's going on in this cultural understanding. <clears throat> the Romans had a law, and it was actually called patria potestis. Or the power of the father. And so in this culture, the dad could do anything he wanted to do with his kids. He could sell them, he could make them work, and he could ultimately just kill them with capital punishment. He had that power through Roman law. And so Christianity steps in and all of a sudden says, Oh, fathers, hey, don't provoke your kids to anger. And it blows their minds. You've you got to get this, what's going on here. And so under Christ's lordship in this text, children are now humans. They're real valid humans, equally valuable, same age marriage, equal value, different roles as the parents. They're just as much a part of the fatherhood of God. That's what's going on here. And so first, let's be reminded that discipline and obedience is for our good. It is ultimately for our good. Hebrews chapter 12 says it this way, verses 7 and 8, For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So lest we read this verse and all of a sudden with our American antenna go up and go, Well, I don't know about discipline. There's a right discipline and there's incredible wrong discipline as well. But first, the danger that we see here is that fullness in Paul's understanding does not exist where discipline is absent. It doesn't exist. There is this respect and this relationship and this discipline and this obedience and this following and there is this. And so the danger, one, of a pendulum ride in our understanding come to this text is, um, I think Paul's saying, listen, don't let your kids be your idol. Don't worship your child. Don't bow to their every whim. And children, it's not your role to lord over your family. I think that's a very real danger in our culture. One pendulum ride is this. Kids can do quite literally whatever the they want. They can do it. And I will cater my money towards them, and I'll cater my time towards them, and I'll cater my energy towards them, and I'll cater my efforts toward them. And everything, Lord forbid that the child has to go 30 seconds without the iPad. Right? 
And, and so there's this catering and this pandering and this, I'll let them do whatever they want to do. And, and so his first thing is this, hey, listen, where discipline is absent, fullness of Christ is absent as well. Children, obey your parents. This is what goes on here. And why do we do this? Why do we bow to our kids? Why do, we, why do they get to watch the iPad for eight hours for the day? Why often for just a, a veneer of peace, right? Just because I want them to shut their pie holes, to be quite honest. They can have this. They can have a popsicle. They can have seven hot dogs. They can, well, I mean, everybody needs seven hot dogs. But they can have the shoes. They can have, they can have whatever they want if they'll just be quiet. And you get quiet for now. But what all of a sudden when they want the keys for the extra hours and they want the time for the extra hours and they want the, and it's just pandering and he says, listen, this, this is a warped relationship where there's not give and take in parenting. And then also there is not fullness where abuse is present. That's the flip side. It's a wild pendulum ride. Either kids do everything they want or they can do nothing. Lock them in the cellar. We don't have a cellar. Don't call DHR. We just have a flat house. right? Lock them back in the room, whatever it is, and don't let them do anything. I'm the Lord over everything. That's equally wrong. And this is where Paul goes the other side. Don't provoke them to anger. And so the pendulum falls on the right side. Abuse focuses on the in everything. Kids, you better obey me in everything. If daddy says, then by gosh, you better. And some of y'all were raised that way, weren't you? And some of you got your eyes quite literally beat in, didn't you? And it's abuse. And it's wrong. It's exasperating. And Paul says, no, it's not that either. There is no fullness in that. And so Paul is calling children and parents, just like husbands and wives, to just simply ask the question, what would worship be, even in parenting relationships? And sometimes that looks different. It looks different on different days. It looks different in different seasons. It's just a ride that we ride, but that's where ultimately fullness is found. I want to admit, my kids grossly disobeyed me and Julie Beth. Just grossly, just, just, oh my gosh. You know why? Because they were humans just like you were and just like you disobeyed your parents. And I also want to equally admit that I grossly failed and am failing in exasperating my children. I get it. I get the wild ride and, the, and we read this text and we go, Paul, if it was just easy, man, why do you keep swinging it back and forth? Paul, if I do this, I'm wrong. If I do this, I'm wrong. My gosh, I don't know what to do. And that's what he's trying to get us to is go, you need Jesus. You need to ask the question, what would worship be as a parent? What would worship be as a child? And when you're tempted to exasperate, what is the right thing to do? Not just for peace, not just for calm, but ultimately for Christ's glory in this situation. And that's where the right answer is found. It really is only grace that has kept the Nicholson pendulum from exploding and or imploding. And I'm not talking about over the past 18 years that we've been parents. I'm talking about over this morning and the past four hours we've attempted to be parents trying to get to church. 
anybody else's car ride was about to explode, and then you hop in church and like, hey, everybody's great, hey, wonderful. Right on the way, like you had a taser and you were zapping your kids. <laughs> get the fry out of the floor. <laughs> you can be real at Safe Haven, you can be honest. But here's the deal. We have had long conversations where we dumped our guts to one another. Late night conversations where we poured out in tears, jockeying for position and debating and, and this and that. And all of that will just fall beautifully silent the moment somebody goes, Hey, let's just pray for a second. Well, let's just ask the Lord what He wants in this moment. Strange. So simple, yet so powerful. We've asked ourselves a zillion times, how does 1 Corinthians 10, 31 fit in? If you've ever been into my house, I'm not a big art person. I mean, I love art, especially if you're an artist. Eric, I love art. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big fan of your art, Eric. <laughs> um, but we don't do a lot of pictures and paintings and that kind of stuff on our, our walls. But we do have one. We have one piece of art. And it's a gigantic palette, which is not art. It's a palette, Right? <laughs> And it has 1 Corinthians 10.31. The kids have to see it every day when they come out of their room. Me and Julie Beth have to see it every day when we come out of our room. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do for the glory of God. And in that, parents, we will find the relationship that we've always longed for and we'll find the fullness of Christ in all things if we'll just hinge on that one verse. And so Paul pleads with children and parents, just have one question. Not to ask, what do I want in this situation as a kid? I want this. He says, don't ask that. And he says to the parents, don't ask, what do I want? The simple question he's saying is, you both ask, what does Christ want? And you'll find the right answer. Well, there's three things I'm sure of in our own personal journey, and maybe you can identify with. I'm sure we have got the yeses and nos completely wrong 95% of the time. When we said yes, we should have said yes. When we said no, we should have said no. Right now, y'all are like, your kids are going to be warped. And I would say, well, they already are. It's too late for my kids, but maybe not yours. And I'm sure we've got rational and irrational, that meter. I'm sure that sucker is spinning wildly, okay? Like our meter is just like, you didn't need kids. (laughs) Like sometimes I do think God looks down and goes, yeah, I've never made a mistake, but you have a children, Troy. (laughs) That was a mistake, no. But I'm sure of one other thing. That we've never been distant from one another, proximity-wise. And we've never not pushed for Christ's glory and to see supremacy of Christ above mom and dad. And I'm just trusting that time around one another, talking about Jesus will ultimately produce whatever Christ is trying to produce through our nutty little family. And I think he'll do the same for you. So lest you walk away going, I am messing my children up. Well, join the crowd of everybody else that's messing our kids up. Draw close to one another and talk about Jesus. And then trust that he's sovereign and he'll do in your family what he wants to do despite the fact that you're trying to mess it all up just like the rest of us. And then he wraps it up by saying this. Wives and parents, I mean, uh, wives and parents, (laughs) wives and husbands, 
Ask what would Jesus do? No. Ask what would worship be in all situations? Parents and children, ask the question, what will worship be in all situations? And then employees and employers ask the exact same question. He says this, verse 22, Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart for fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You're serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he's done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And once again, we see the exact same thing for the third time. Christianity brings slaves up from being just a thing to a person. All of a sudden, now the master has responsibility towards the slave. Unheard of in the Roman culture. That was not a thing. Christianity is wonderful at bringing up. And so there's a balance going on here in this text of slaves and hired servants. I think bond servants is a key here. This is somebody who's working. It is more like an employer-employee relationship. Either way, ultimately, Paul's writings in Ephesians and Colossians does away with the institute of slavery as we know it in America for sure. Praise God for that. But his point is that both bond servants and employers are equal servants under the supremacy of Christ as their master. And so Christianity now shows that there's fulfillment to be had in marriage, there's fulfillment to be had in parenting, and there's fulfillment to be had in work relationships. So, like I said, it was all fun and game. We were all high-fiving when we were talking about the God who holds the stars in the universe, weren't we? But now we're talking about marriage, parenting, and work, and we're like, (laughs) I don't know about all that. The key phrase here, I think, is for employees is by the way of eye service versus sincerity of heart. Did you notice that? He's saying if you want to have fulfillment, then you need to work not by way of eye service, but as Christians from sincerity of heart. Right now you're like, I don't want to do that at my workplace. Well, let's just hang on here. The question is, there's a way that you edit a paper when you can edit it on your own. And there's a whole other way to edit that paper when your boss is standing right over your shoulder, isn't it? There's a way that you can dig the hole and a whole other way when you're alone versus when your boss is looking over your shoulder at the way that you dig the hole, isn't there? There's a way that you can sell the product when you're by yourself. And a whole other way when your boss is within earshot, eye service of that. There's a, a way that you can talk about the company when nobody else is around. Ah, oh, well, here's the way our company stinks and here's the water. And then you talk about it totally different when the boss is around. By way of eye services versus sincere. There is a way that you can do push-ups when nobody else is around. Isn't that right, Cole? He mocks me all the time at my push-ups until somebody's around. There's a way that you can do push-ups. You're like, one, two, sixty, hundred. Got them. I did a hundred push-ups today. Right? There's a whole other way that you do push-ups when the trainer is there. And he says, listen, don't function in employee-employer relationships By eye service, by what they're judging you by. But as Christians, fulfillment is found in work from sincerity of the the heart. Work from your heart level. 
in appreciation for what Christ has done, so work heartily as to the Lord. Again, it's all about the heart. And heart of thankfulness is the only way that you'll ever find joy in editing the paper, digging the hole, sewing up the skin, whatever it is. Policing the... You'll never find heart service in policing unless it's spawned from the Lord. It changes everything. Work from sincerity of the heart. Deuteronomy 8.17, as we get close, says this. Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me all of this wealth. You shall remember the Lord God, for it is He who even gives you the power to get wealth. And so, secular employees, yes, 100%. They work out of fear or gain. No doubt about it. But as Christians, the call is, don't work from fear or gain. Work from an attitude of worship. I'm thankful the Lord lets me work. I'm thankful the Lord is letting me edit this paper. I'm thankful the Lord lets me work for this company. I'm thankful the Lord lets me dig this hole. I'm thankful that the Lord lets me pick up this trash. I'm thankful that the Lord lets me blow the whistle. I'm thankful that the Lord, whatever your job is, I am thankful that the Lord lets me be surrounded by 32 screaming three-year-olds. I'm thankful that the Lord lets me. I am thankful. Because if it wasn't for the Lord, I wouldn't have any of it. And then we work out of worship. I'm thankful, Lord. And that changes my attitude. And so for the employer, that's the employee, but we do have some employers too. For the employer, this was also completely absurd to the Roman world. I mean, imagine walking up to people who all their life have been told that their employees are nothing more than possessions. And you go up to them and says, hey, you also need to treat them just and fair. It didn't register. They're like, no, no, they are my cattle. I do what I want to do. And he says, no. So for the employer, it's wildly revolutionary. And the point is, if you realize, employer, that all people, including yourself, are ultimately under the authority of the Lord and judged by Him, then you'll treat them all fairly and justly because you're going to receive the same judgment as your employees. And so, yes, do your employees know your name? Yes. Do you know your employee's names? I'm getting all confused now. Like, do y'all know each other's names? Yes, that's important. But what Paul's saying is, do they know that you care about them? Do they know that you care about their families? Do they know that you care about the, the fair pay? Do they know that you care about the time that they have? Do they know that you care? Like, do the people that work with you know that you care about their sickness and their illness and their their family sickness and their illness? Do they know you care about the relationships that they have with their spouses? Do they know you care? Is what he's getting at. And in this way, Christ even brings fullness to business interactions. Let's wrap it up because the kids are about to bust right through the wall. As the band comes back up, what Paul is simply saying is this. Christian, marriage does not have to suck the life out of you. So if you're married and you're thinking, marriage sucks the life out of me, the question is, why? What, what's missing? Where is worship absent? 
Also, parents, families do not have to suck the joy out of you. It can be life-giving, fulfilling. Interactions with your kids can be awesome. And then also, employees and employers, work does not have to suck the fun out of us as Christians. There's meaning to be had. There's fullness to be found. And Paul wants us to have the best marriages. He wants us to be the best parents. And he says, by gosh, you ought to be the best workers and working forers of all people. You should have all of these things. And he's given us clear instruction on how to do it. How to do it. Now it's just our job. Will we put it into practice? Will you be a punk to your boss tomorrow? Will you be a punk to your kids today? And we'll end on this one. Will you be a punk to your spouse in 30 minutes? Let's pray together. Lord, here's the text. We sit before it. We sit under it. May our marriages, may our parenting, may our work habits be peculiar. And yeah, God, I mean that in both sense of the words. May it may they be odd. May we be odd to the world. Because we're seeking to be pleasing to Jesus. So God, we want peace in our marriages, in our parenting, in our working. And today we see that peace is only found where worship exists. So, will we worship you in our parenting? Will we worship you in our marriaging? Will we worship you in our working? Will we worship you in our singleness? Will we worship you in our dating? Will we worship you in our sporting? Will we, will we worship you? And in our flesh, we won't. But we as a gathered body are asking you to be sovereign over our flesh. And draw us to worship you. Discipline us. Conform us to the image of Christ. Jesus, it is in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.